Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Some of y'all been at your job three years longer than God intended because you ain't said nothing yet. Y'all better start witnessing. So, But in reality, Paul is saying, look, it's not a pleasant place. I'm sure he doesn't like to be there, but he's making the most of it. And he's using it as an opportunity to share Christ. And I love what he said at the end of verse four. He says that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul says, this is what I ought to be doing. How many of us see the communicating and sharing of the gospel as something we need to be doing? Have you ever found yourself in the position to speak God's word into the life of someone at work? Did you take that opportunity or let it pass by? Possibly asking God to make it clear to you if he really wants you to have that conversation? Today, Pastor Bill puts it plainly, saying God expects you to be a witness at your job, whether you like it or not. He compares you to Paul who, while in prison, writes down his conviction to witness to those imprisoned with him. You have that same opportunity at work. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, as he begins his message, a few final words. Colossians chapter 4, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for every person that's here, that's watching, that we'll watch later. God, as we approach uh, this last portion of this book, these final exhortations and encouragements, the things that Paul said to his friends, and uh, Lord, his closing exhortation and blessing, God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I believe it's living and powerful that you know everyone here, everyone listening, you know what we need. And I pray, God, that because your word is supernatural, because it's alive, that you would speak to us those things that we need to hear from you through your living word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, all right. So if you've been going through the whole book of Colossians with us, you'll remember that in the beginning, Paul was really laying out to the Colossians what God had done for them, much like what we see in Ephesians, how they were, you know, elected and God chose them and God has a purpose for them and all that God did in saving. And so there's so much about Jesus in the first two chapters of the book. And then he moves from there to the warning, you know, since the relationship we have with Christ is not religious, it's not based on anything fake or fraudulent. It's not something we do for show. It's real and legitimate then we wanted to be careful about religion. Remember, he cautioned them to don't let people put extras on you. Don't let anybody judge you in terms of Sabbath days and new moons and all these extra things. The substance is of Christ, he reminded them. So he warned them against some of the false teachings and even just religious stuff that people get caught up in. Then he moved into the practical. He started dealing with your practical lives. And so if you're a Christian, you're, where is the real testing ground for the Christian, y'all? Home, right? Home is where you live the most. So y'all can come here on Sunday morning and how you do? Oh, God bless you. I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored and all that good stuff. But but some other people go home with you and they see that other person that be saying them other words and have that other attitude. And so home is the proving ground for the believer. So Paul touched at home. He dealt with the marriage. He dealt with husbands. He dealt with wives. He dealt with children. He dealt with us in the workplace. And now as we, we move into this final section a couple of things that I want you to pay attention to today, right? I want you to pay attention to Paul's friends. I want you to think about this morning. Everybody consider who are your friends? What kind of friends do you have? And know that the friends that you have says something about who you are. Amen. If all my friends smoke dope, what does that say about me? 
either smoke it or sell it, but I'm involved in it some way, shape, or form, right? If everybody that you hang out with is a certain, it just it does say something about you. How come all your friends are that way? So we'll look at Paul's friends. We'll look at what Paul thinks is really important. As these are, you know, when you close a letter, it's kind of like, hey, I'm wrapping this up. This is my final, this is the last things I got to get off my chest to you guys. So we'll look at the things that Paul thought were really important. Look at Colossians chapter four, verse two. It says this, Paul says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make manifest as I ought to speak. So remember, Paul is in prison while he writes this letter. I don't want you to forget that, right? Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. And not once in the letter has Paul said, you guys, it's tough. They treat me bad. I'm not eating good food. I hope you pray for me to get out. Paul's focus, is, it just seems like it's never on himself. He's always looking out. He's concerned with the body of Christ. He's concerned with the other people. And so he even sees purpose in where he is. So he says, Continue earnestly in prayer. I want to remind us that prayer is important for the believer and prayer is a it's an essential and critical part of being a believer. It's something that you have access to do that not everybody else does. Right. Remember that prayer is the privilege of the saint. If you are a non-Christian, if you have not given your life to Christ, then the one prayer that God is waiting for you to pray is a prayer of surrender to him as Lord. But you don't have relationship, right? Everybody is not by default God's child. We're all made in God's image. We're all God's creation. But everybody's not a child of God. It's only God's kids that can cry out, Abba, Father. It's only God's kids that can cry out, our Father, who art in heaven, that have access to God through prayer. So if you're a Christian, know that prayer is your privilege, you got a relationship with God who knows everything that can do anything. He's available 24 seven and he encourages us. He exhorts us, commands us even that we should pray. And so Paul tells the believers here, he says, Hey guys, continue earnestly in prayer. Earnestly means this. I want passionate prayer. I don't want you lifting up. No, Oh God, just bless Paul. You know, oh, no, I want you to really lean in on that prayer. Earnest prayer is there's some umph on that. You guys get the difference. Maybe if you're praying for somebody who you saw in passing that said, I got a, I got a sniffly nose, pray for me. You know, you might pray one way for that. Somebody else call you and say, my husband's on life support. Would you stop what you're doing and pray? You might lean into that prayer. It might be a more earnest and passion. Paul says, for me, I'm asked continue an earnest prayer for me. Right. I want there to be an earnestness to your prayer. And so he asked him to continue to do it. Why does he do that? Because Paul believes in the power of prayer. Paul believes that God is working through the prayers. Then he says this, be vigilant in it. The word vigilant means to be watchful, right? Pay attention. Don't just pray empty, vain prayers. Prayers, prayers, your communication with God. Don't waste words. When you pray to God, you don't have to pray in Elizabethan English. I've met Christians that are like, oh, I don't like to pray in public. Why? I don't really know how to pray. Yeah, you do. You know how to talk. You know how to say what you think. You know how to say what you feel. You may say it different than somebody else say it, right? Some of us may have grown up in traditional church and the deacons messed it up for us because you watch a deacon pray and you like that. That's prayer. I can't do it. 
That them brothers be praying and Jesse Jackson slogans and rhymes and everything else with I can't I remember I remember seeing the deacons at our church and I was like, bro, I can't do that. I don't even know if I want to do that, you know. I've learned since then that's not prayer. Prayer is I'm communicating, I'm talking to God. God knows who I am, God knows how I speak, and I can approach God. I come in reverence, right? I don't talk God to God like he's my homeboy. But I can come to the Lord in reverence and I can speak to him and he's and have an audience with God. He's listening to me. And so when you pray, you're sharing your heart. You're making requests. You're letting things be made known to God. Prayer is a demonstration of faith that, God, I'm in the room by myself talking to you because I believe you're everywhere listening. I believe you can do the things I'm asking you to do. And so he says, be vigilant, be watchful. Think about what you're praying. And he says this with Thanksgiving. This is important. If you add this to your prayers, Thanksgiving, it'll do something to boost your own faith. When you pray with Thanksgiving, when I start praying, let me thank God for what he's already done. Before I bring in the new stuff that I'm asking God to do, I get reminded of how faithful God has been in the past. And that gives me faith for my new stuff. I got new situations. I got current things going on. But my track record with the Lord says that he hears and he's faithful. So you want to pray, but you want to be thankful. Some people pray like God's never done nothing for them. And we want to be faithful. You want to remember that God has done a lot for us already. Amen. If you're born again, he's done that for you. Anything he's answered in the past, you want to remember that as you bring your new situations to God in prayer. Now, look at what he says in verse three. Meanwhile, he says, praying also for us, the us that are in jail, he's talking about that God would open a door for us. Open the door for the word. So you might thought Paul would have said that God would open up the doors of the prison, let us out of here. But Paul said, pray for us that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make manifest as I ought to speak. I thought that was amazing. Paul is in prison. and He's saying, God, pray for me, guys, that God would open doors for me to speak his word, for me to make known the mystery of Christ. And so. I want you to notice Paul isn't asking to be released from prison, but he's asking for an opportunity to share Christ while he's there in the prison. Paul realizes that while he's in the prison, he has opportunity to preach to some people he doesn't normally have access to. He said the similar thing in Philippians 1. He says, Paul being in prison, he said, for these things have actually worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul's like, man, I'm in prison and the gospel's going somewhere it would have never gone before because I got access to people in prison. I don't normally be in prison. Imagine that mindset, right? If you were in prison for obeying God, how many of us would be in prison saying, wow, look at all these people in prison I get to share with that I don't normally, when I'm free, I don't get to see these guys. So they, they live here, but I get to be, I'm just on visit. I get to share with these guys. That was his perspective. And so he's saying, pray for opportunities for me to be able to share with these guys I would encourage you that I think sometimes we got to be careful about praying to get out of situations that God allowed us to be put in to be a witness for him in the situation. Some of y'all are in jobs and you want out so bad. And God is like, wait, 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 you on a mission. I got there are people there I need you to talk to. I'm extending your time there because you've been quiet too long. Some of y'all been at your job three years longer than God intended because you ain't said nothing yet. Y'all better start witnessing. So, But in reality, Paul is saying, look, it's not a pleasant place. I'm sure he doesn't like to be there, but he's making the most of it. And he's using it as an opportunity to share Christ. And I love what he said at the end of verse four. He says that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul says, this is what I ought to be doing. How many of us see 
the communicating and sharing of the gospel is something we need to be doing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. How many of us see it that way, that I ought to be doing this? This is what I should be doing. If I go somewhere and people don't know Christ, well, I should be sharing. And this is why I believe that that should be true, you guys, because if you understand the gospel is good news, right? The good news that that I was going to hell, I was separated from God, I had no relationship with the Lord, I was spiritually dead, I was separated from God by my sins, but then God and his love for you and me, Romans 5, 8, demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still in our sins, God said, I loved you and I made a provision for you and I sent my son Jesus to die in your place. You sinned, you messed up, you've done wrong, but I love you guys and I know you can't make it right on your own. I sent my son to do what you can't do. My son, Jesus, left heaven, came to earth, lived the life you can never live, perfect, holy, sinless, without blemish or blame. And then he died on the cross in your place, sacrificed for your sins. That if you would just put your faith in him, if you would believe in him, that he died for your sins and rose from the grave, you will be saved. Is that good news? Think about all your sins and God is saying, I'll let you off if you believe in believing, receive my son. You don't work for it. You haven't been good enough for it. You didn't, you didn't buy it. You didn't give a bunch of money for it. You just believed the gospel. I believe the good news of the gospel. That's great news when you understand it. And God says, and as soon as you believe, I'll give my Holy Spirit to you because you'll never really want to be holy without him. Some non-believers are like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't know if I ever want to be like that. You never will want to be like that, right? If you had asked me before I got saved, like, do you think you want to not do this, not do this? No, that would have been a terrible way to witness to me. And I had people try that. People try to witness me and say, you know what? You should be a Christian and stop having sex and stop smoking and stop drinking. How do you think that sounds to a non-believer? That sounds lame. That sounds like a, I don't want that. Why would, that's like a disease, you know, like I don't, I don't want it. You keep that over there. I needed to understand, this is what God did for me, right? I understood that I was going to hell. I had had my brush with death. I've seen death. I know death is a real thing. And I understand if I die apart from Christ, I will go to hell. I want to be saved. I received Christ on that basis alone. Then after I got saved, from the inside out, God began to deal with those other things. God moved my heart for the drinking and the stuff, the other things that were going on. He, I needed him to move in and, and begin to make those changes. So be careful in your witness that you're not witnessing with the rules of Christianity for someone that don't have the spirit of God in them because it's not clicking. All right. When you give spiritual rules to people that are spiritually dead, they just get spiritually ticked off. That's how it worked in my life. So when I have people telling me, you, you shouldn't be drinking, it's like, well, why shouldn't I be drinking? I love to drink. Why wouldn't I do this? You know, I, I couldn't comprehend what they were saying. And it was annoying to me, to be quite honest. They should have just told me what Jesus did for me and left me with that. So if y'all are witnessing the people, neighbors, families, friends, coworkers, be careful that the message is supposed to be good news. Amen. So make sure your message is good news. Give them the bad news. I don't know if you knew this, but the Bible says that all men have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, that because of that, you're separated from God. I don't know if you know that. If you die like you are, you go to hell. But I got good news. Jesus died for you, and he would forgive you and receive you today if you would put your faith in him. Great news. You want to do that? And invite them into a real relationship with the Lord. Not religion, not rules. If you convince someone to give up all their stuff and they don't receive Jesus, 
Y'all know they still not going to heaven. So anyway, back to this. So Paul said, man, I ought to be preaching this message. I got to be preaching this. And I encourage you guys, make sure that we're preaching this message, not the message of religion, not the message of rules and regulations, but the message of the gospel, what God has done for sinners. Amen. Look at verse five and six. Now, two more exhortations. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Paul is saying, look, when you're dealing with non-believers, be careful how you walk before them. Y'all understand that our witness should correspond with our words, right? The, my lifestyle and my behavior should correspond with the message that I'm sharing. So Paul says, walk in wisdom toward those that are outside. Make sure that we're not living in such a way that we are repelling people or that we're, we're the reason why people don't want to go any further in the conversation. Everybody here knows somebody when you weren't saved that they were that to you, right? They were, they were the repellent of Christianity to you. I had people in my family that that's what they were to me. It was like, man, the worst, worst thing that could have happened was for that person to say they was a Christian for me. And so make sure that that's not you. Make sure you're not living in that way. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. That means I need to be careful how I walk, how I carry myself, how I speak to these people, how I treat them. Again, my message and my life, they should correspond. They shouldn't contradict. The second part of verse five, he said, redeeming the time. That word redeeming means to buy up opportunities. And as you are interacting with non-believers, remember that. These are opportunities. Tomorrow's promise to no man. You might be interacting with someone and they're gonna be gone and so redeem the time, buy up the opportunities. If you have opportunities to share with people, don't waste them. Don't be at a funeral saying, oh, man, I never got around to it. Don't be at a funeral of a friend or a family member saying, ah, I've been saying I was going to talk to them and I didn't. Nah, make sure you did it. Make sure you had shared it. Make sure you have communicated it. Redeem the time. Buy up those opportunities because, again, tomorrow's promise to no man. We can't bank on having another opportunity with people. Then he says in verse 6, this is about your speech. Let your speech always, I underline always in my Bible, let your speak always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I want that to marinate in real quick, right? Let your speech always be seasoned with grace. Be with grace and seasoned with salt. Always. That means this. There's some people that kind of, you know, use their past, right? There's some people that will say, oh, you know, I've always been like this. You know, I just kind of just, I just cut people up with my words because that's, I'm just, I'm a straightforward. Y'all know I'm straightforward, right? If I don't watch myself, I will straightforward cut people's heads off because that's, I am very straightforward. That's how I am. I, I prefer, when I talk to people, I'd rather you just say, yeah, just tell me how it is, right? Tell me, tell me you did bad. I don't like you. The food was nasty. I can take it, right? That's how I am. I appreciate that. If I cook meals, that's how my household is, right? So my kids have this running joke. I made a steak a long time ago. Y'all know I can get down on the grill. I make steaks now that they, they be standing in line for, but, but, I made a steak one time, one time, one time before I had a good grill and it came out chewy. And I did. I talked smack. So I talked it all up. I was like, I got the steaks and the potatoes. I was bah, I was doing my little stuff. And and we all got to the table and start eating. And I was eating it, too. So I knew I'm eating the steak. And I'm like, man, it just it won't stop chewing. I'm like, mm, I'm chewing and chewing. So they're at the table giggling. 
but they're not clowning me 100% yet. And y'all know my son, Billy. Billy is autistic. So he kind of gets a pass. Bill will do what he want to do. Bill ate the whole steak. He cut it up. He ate every piece. So I was like, look, Bill likes it. Bill, Bill's eating the steak. After he ate the entire steak, it was all in his mouth. I didn't realize it was still all in his mouth. He got up and went to the trash can in front of everybody at the table and just, blah, just put it all out. They fell out of their chairs. They rolled and laughed. And so I've been marked with that for the rest of my life. Now, again, my household is not one where I'm going to say to my kid, oh, don't you disrespect me. Like, we're going to laugh at each other. You know, that, that steak was chewy and it was nasty. And that's how it is. Now, I got to be careful as a believer because my household, we can do we can deal with that. But I can't assume that you can deal with that. So if you make something, I've had people make things. Hey, what do you think about that? Now, if I did your how I do us at home, some of y'all will never be back. Y'all been made a dish. What'd you think? That was disgusting. I had to scrape my tongue after I ate that, that thing. You know, you will never be back again. I got to be careful. My words need to be seasoned with grace. I got to be careful how I talk to people. So you too, right? We're witnesses, but also among brothers and sisters. I got to be careful. Y'all are God's kids. Y'all are important to God. And it matters how I don't want to have a negative effect on you because I'm loose with my lips or I'm reckless with my words. And so Paul says, look, man, you need to let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. So if you are one who you get a lot of people letting you know that you say some difficult things or you hurt them with your words, don't accept that that's just who you are. You need to change. You need to make an adjustment. Right. You need to alter that because God has called you to. Paul is a very straightforward person. But Paul says, look, man, let your words, let them always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, from this point, Paul begins to run through his list of friends. We'll see that he had a lot of friends in the ministry. We'll highlight some of them as we go. But I want you to consider as we go through his list of friends. What kind of friends do you have? Who are you surrounded with? Who do you talk to from week to week? Who do you hang out with in your free time? Who are your friends? What are they into? Is it edifying? Is it pointing you to the Lord? Is it, you know, are these people that you guys are praying for each other? What do your friends look like? Let's look at what Paul's friends were into. So first, verse seven, we get this man, I say Tychicus. Some people say Tychicus. I like Tychicus. So verse seven, Tychicus, a beloved brother faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He will tell you of the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So Paul says about this man, Tychicus, and I believe this is great, right? This is a, what a great testimony that Paul would say these words about him. He says he's a beloved brother, faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, Right? Paul said, this guy is just faithful. This is a good brother, man. This is my evaluation of him, and I'm sending him to you guys. So apparently this was the person Paul chose to carry the letter that he wrote. Paul's in prison writing letters. He's got to entrust someone to get his letter from Rome to Colossae. And so Tychicus is a faithful brother. He's a good guy. Paul says, this is my guy, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. I trust him to carry this letter. Again, I think this is so important in this age, in the body of Christ, even in our church. There are people here, you guys, that are faithful brothers and faithful sisters, trustworthy. 
Count on them. They're going to be here. They're going to be doing the ministry they've been given to do. They're going to do it with faithfulness. It's important that as a body of believers that there are people that can be trusted and counted on like that. No, no one person does everything. You guys know that? As important as Paul was, Paul's sitting in prison writing this letter. If he don't have someone that can carry it from Rome prison to Colossae, then it's a mute point. This letter needs to get to the believers over there. It's written for them. And so he needed someone he could trust with that. We understand that there are a great many programs you could have listened to today. So we're super blessed you chose to join us on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. You know those times when it's too hard to be quiet and you just have to speak? Paul finds himself in this position after he hears the trouble false teachers are stirring up in the church in that day. The truth was being twisted, and it was so important to Paul that he wrote a letter to people he'd never even met. Talk about laying aside one's own apprehensions for the good of mankind. Paul specifically shared with them, on a personal level, what he knew about Jesus. We, too, desire to help any and all individuals know Jesus in a tangible way and build a lasting relationship with Him. If this piques your interest, please locate the Know Jesus tab on our website, which is calvaryinglewood.org. All the information you need is right there. Again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Or better yet, please give us a call at 310-245-4811. We would love to connect with you, just in case you missed it. That number is 310-245-4811. Our ministry is based in Inglewood, California, at Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, come check us out firsthand. Sunday morning services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. For those not in the area, you can live stream our service on YouTube or Instagram. That's all the time we have for today. We look forward to connecting with you again, right here on A Transforming Word.